looking at each one of the Ten Commandments as we consider the role of the law in our lives. I thank Jeremiah also for his presentation this morning. It yields to me a very free uh, introduction, so I appreciate that as well. Uh, to me, this morning, we were already going to look at Exodus 20, 1 and 2, and I kind of fast forward to you to consider, as we walk through this passage, consider what a privilege it is, as you heard from their ministry, and as you contextualize that to yourself this morning, sitting here comfortably, uh, some more than others with the air conditioning on, I see, but relatively comfortable are all of us sitting in here in relationship to the video and the challenges that we see. So consider in your comfortable situation, many of you opened your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. That was easy for me, and it was easy for you. I just asked you to open Exodus 20. You brought a Bible so that you can read Exodus 20. Does that strike a chord? Not everyone has that. That is a huge gift to the people of God to possess his word. I was thinking of how we are contextualizing that, considering that we possess, as he said, hundreds of translations on the market. Open a modern Christian magazine, if it be Christianity Today, you take a look and you, you, you see three pages of content and 200 pages of commercials for Bible translations. There's a new committee taking on a new one all the time with a new theory and a new dynamic tr- equivalency and translation theory that is always at work. So we always have access to faster, better translations that convey meaning more accurately and better as we study it. Just take a moment and consider the privilege that we have in possessing the written word of the Lord. Westminster Catechism. Questions 1, 2, and 3. I'm going to read them for you in light of the presentation that we just heard. Put this together. Watch how question and answer one leads to two and then leads to three. These are working together. So is the catechism, Westminster Catechism. Question number one. You've all heard it at some point. Read it in some book. This is its source. Question. What is the chief end of man? The dem. Let's contact us. All people created in the image of God. Every single person. What is his chief end? Answer. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's why you were created. To glorify and enjoy God who created you forever. That is man's chief end. It leads us. It's begging us. To another question. What rule has God given to direct us on how we may glorify and enjoy him? So there it is. There's your chief end. That's the Dems' chief end. Every person 
created, their chief end is to glorify and enjoy God forever. Well, how will we know how to do that? If, if, if that is what I've been created for, how will I find a way to do so? What, what brings him glory? What, what, how can I know how to enjoy him? What direction has he given to me on how I may glorify and enjoy him if that is my chief end? Answer, the word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. That's what he's given you, to direct you toward your chief end, the written Word of God. You can't know it by looking at the trees. You can't know it by rejoicing over the bee that's pollinating the flower. It speaks to you. And you enjoy it. But you don't rightly perceive it apart from the Word of the Lord. We are dependent, all mankind, upon the word of the Lord. And we possess it right here in this room. Yet how often do we take this one rule that he has given to direct us and leave it on the shelf that it might gather dust How often do we come under it and receive it as insight, as God's rule for my life, and let it govern my behavior, rather than me come decide my own behavior, and then again, maybe reconcile with the word of the Lord, and maybe not. What is our attitude as evangelical Christians in the United States of America when we possess the word of the Lord? Does it strike you that there are others who are under the same calling to glorify and enjoy God forever? Yet that principle by which he offers a direction as to how to do it, that they possess not? Do you appreciate possessing the word of the Lord? Last question, then it leads us into our discussion this morning. What then do the scriptures principally teach? If we are to glorify and enjoy him, we don't really know how. Oh wait, yes we do. He's given us his word, Old and New Testaments, to know how to do so. Well then, what is contained therein? What's in them? What do they principally teach? Answer, the scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of him. How will they know unless someone preaches to them? How will they believe in whom they have not heard? This is the work of the ministry. This is our joy that we possess the written word of the Lord. That by looking therein, not covering it up, 
throwing it on the shelf, giving no time to it, nor care or concern to it, would we know how to believe and what to do concerning our life with God. We can't get there. Do you believe that with me? We cannot get there apart from the written word of the Lord. And if we've been there once, that is at a conversion moment, we cannot continue glorifying and bring Him glory, joy in our lives when we separate from constant practice of His Word. We can't say, I needed the Word when I needed to get saved, and now I don't anymore. It's by constant practice. If you believe this, by grace you will seek the Lord that he would strengthen you to be in his word. That you might know what you ought to believe and what your duty is that he requires of you as you live your life before his face. You could with me just for one moment and I won't ask a raise of hands. But how many of us even looked at our text of Holy Scripture this week? But we believe to be therein the content I must know and what I ought believe and how I ought live before the face of God in whom I say I trust and love. We must be people, not just that have publishers who make it easy, we must be people who give ourselves to this text. Not spoiled children who know not the gift that we've been given. This is how God approaches Israel in Exodus 20 in this covenant situation. As the God who speaks. Distinct from all other gods, the gods of the nations, they will not hear you when you cry to them. And they will not answer you when you need them. They didn't deliver you out of Egypt. Israel's God, the God of this text, is the only God who speaks. As our brother said, well, when life takes place, for us, it won't be a pig that dies. Excellent graphic photo, by the way, of the pork being pulled apart. It won't be the same for us. But our pigs are other things. So it's completely analogous. D- doesn't the writer of Ecclesiastes say that? <laughs> he looks out at all men and just says, there's commonality between all of us. The frailty of life the sense of toiling without pleasure. It's common for all men under the sun. The loss of something, life's toil and turmoil, difficulty and challenge. And then if it's it's, for them, the loss of a pig begins to question who's in charge here? Who will I turn to to deliver me from this economic disaster or this tribal difficulty. Who, and I'm going to work down the tier of gods that I have possessed on paper or wherever it is. And then same for each one of us. We might not be losing the pig, but in our toil and our tribulation, our trials, we have various difficulties within our lives. We just contextualize them here. Will we do the same thing? When we work down the tiers, who will we turn to for deliverance and confidence and gratitude? 
who will we turn to? It might be a bit more like we'll turn inward toward us. But there's only one God. When you're working through the tears, this individual, I'll pray to this spirit, doesn't happen. I'll pray to this spirit, doesn't happen. I'll pray to this spirit, doesn't happen. This is how God approaches Israel. Same context. Remember, coming out of Egypt, there are many gods in Egypt. Many gods of deliverance. Many gods, one for provision of rain, one for provision of sun, one for provision of care, one for provision of healing. And so working through the tears of God, God approaches Israel in Exodus 20 as the only God who speaks. The only God who can hear. The only God who can answer. Do you, a 21st century Christian living in the United States, still confess that? Do you believe that? Do you practice that by faith? He is the only God who speaks. He is the only God who hears me when I'm broken. There is only one creator, and he has revealed to me in these pages. And by his spirit, as I give myself to this text, my life is changed. He hears me when I cry. He answers me in the complexities and the turmoils of my life. There is one God who speaks. Right here. Look at Exodus 20 as he approaches Israel with that same mindset. Verse 20, or excuse me, verse 1, chapter 20 of Exodus. Look at how he approaches Israel. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord, your God. Do you see right there? He is the only God who speaks. God spoke all these words. In other words, in in contrast to our maybe cultural societal sensitivities, we don't, these commandments don't come to us by way of uh, vote. Who thinks these are good ones? Who thinks these are bad ones? All right, well, let's count it out. There isn't a board that was organized to discuss how appropriate they felt the Ten Commandments were and then amend them as is fitting their context. This is how the commandments come to you this morning. This is how every commandment of the text of Holy Scripture comes to you this morning. God spoke it. It is His commandment, not yours. It's not up for, like, popularity It comes to you as a creature from a creator who says, Thus saith the Lord. I am God, and there is no one but me. There is no one to my right. There is no one to my left. And I have spoken these things, saying this to you. The gods of the nations will not guide you, direct you. They cannot hear you, and they cannot speak to you. This began to form the community of Israel, a God who speaks to them. How consistent is that if we go from Israel coming out of, ex, out of Egypt and we go all the way to the church right here in Pittsburgh at Redeemer? How analogous is that? How consistent is it that what forms the community of the people of God is a confession that God speaks? 
he is the one who speaks. We are the ones who hear him. We respond to the word being spoken from God. It forms the community. You've come this morning. You're sitting patiently with me right now because you believe that. You came, you got up out of bed, and you came here because you believe that is what's forming your life. God speaks. God has spoken. He has given me his word. And I need to hear it again and again and again. And I need to bring my life into conformity with it. I need to take that which I have done to my life and come under the guidance and direction of the word of the Lord. It is my confession as a Christian that he has spoken. And there is no other God who can do that. And I heard it. And I've responded to it. And I need to be in a place where I can keep on hearing it. It forms the community. Look at how this test comes up again. And, they, and we could go from this text right here, Exodus 20, and we could jump in past Deuteronomy. Okay, so let's go from Genesis to Deuteronomy. We could put that aside, and then we could look at all of the prophets. And guess what's at stake? The God who speaks idolatry. I'm going to look at this. I'm going to look at this. I'm going to worship that. I'm going to pray to this. My pig died. I'm going to work through At heart, throughout the Old Testament, prophets is the call. Israel, come back. Come to conformity to the God who's spoken to you. These gods you're chasing after. The language is much more graphic. The gods whom you're whoring after. They can't hear you. They've not spoken to you. And then you watch the destruction, don't you? Some people pursue gods at great cost to their children. You think of history, sacrifice, biblical history, sacrifice of family members, sacrifice of a child, cutting themselves. Because indeed there is a God, I'm going to worship him, but he hasn't spoken. He hasn't given clear directive of how you might glorify and enjoy him forever. And so with great confusion, they form their own laws. They form their own sense of connection to this God who has not spoken. And he can't speak because he can't even hear. There is only one God who speaks. And he has spoken. And he can hear. And he will guide. Turn with me to 1 Kings 18. I want you to see how this shapes Israel's life. I won't keep you till like 2 o'clock in the afternoon or anything like that. Just a little bit shy of that. 1 Kings 18. If you can go forward to 1 Kings 18 to just see how this is a critical component in Israel's life. That they believe in a God who has spoken. And he has spoken in his word, the law, and you must give yourself to the direction and the call for obedience under the law. Don't chase or whore after gods who are not actually gods at all. And this is the message of our brother and sister. Don't chase after these gods. They can't deliver you. There is but one who has spoken and can hear. And he is mighty to save. 1 Kings 18, join with me in the situation that is a big throwdown between Elijah and all of the people here. 
This is a magnificent scene of the strength of God plus one, right? God plus one makes for a majority, amen? So that's the situation. Coming under the word from the Lord, identifying yourself with the word of the Lord, and then it makes for a majority, even if numbers are not in your favor, right? So verse 20, so Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Okay, so here's the situation. It's developing about a God who speaks. Elijah came near to all the people and he said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? Ask yourself in this text right here. How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. Consider your own life, right? Right here. In this magnificent throwdown. You're here where Elijah's getting ready to throw down. And you're looking onto the scene. And he's looking at you in the complexity of your life. And on kind of the teeter-totter of your emotions. And he's saying to you through this text, how long will you go on limping between two opinions? I kind of feel good about this. And then over here I like this. How long? If he is God, then follow him. So, the text. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it into pieces, and lay it on the wood. But put no fire on it. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire on it. If you call, and here it is, the God who speaks, and you call upon the name of your God, I will call upon the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, yeah, all right, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many. Call upon the name of your God and put no fire on it. They took the bull that was given them and they prepared it and called it the name of Baal. They called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon. See how this is, the, 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 the fact that God speaks is forming the community of Israel. This is their central conviction. God hears and speaks. This is what Elijah is setting up. Then why are you whoring after other gods? Why are you limping between two opinions? If he is the Lord, he is God, then serve him. The God who answers, the God who speaks, he is God. Agreed? They say, agreed. I will call upon the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire. He is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Verse 26, and they took the bull that was given them and prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice. And no one answered. They limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud! For he is a God, either he is musing, or perhaps he is relieving himself. He is on a journey, maybe, or perhaps he is asleep, and he must be awakened. Do you see, this is front and center in the people of God. Their God speaks. 
This is front and center to you this morning. Your God speaks. He can hear you. And if he can hear you, he will act on your behalf. Or maybe your God is off relieving himself in the woods. Maybe that's what the situation, we'll just give him a few minutes. We'll see what he does when he comes back. You see, that's nonsense. But don't we run around like chickens with our heads cut off? In fear? Staying up all night like this, wondering what's going to happen with our lives? How long will you go on limping? He has spoken. And you possess his speech. Turn to it. Look at how it goes from here. They cried aloud and look at what they did. They cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blush gushed out upon them. Do you see the, the, the desperation when you don't have a word from God? You are to glorify and enjoy him forever. How would we know how to do so? Cut yourself with swords and lances until the blood flows out. Oh, wait, no, not a good idea. He has given us a direct word as to how we might enjoy and glorify him, and that is contained in the Old and New Testaments. Our God has spoken to us. Without it, we are lost. Verse 29, And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But look at there. Still the same situation. Their God, though he may be relieving himself, he never came back. There was still no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. This is written for Israel. Pounding us, the people of God, that there is no other God. Commandment number one. Verse 30, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench out of the altar as great as would contain two says of seed. And he put, the wo- he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. They did it a second time. He said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and he filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust, licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God, the Lord He is God. You see, the fact that God speaks, he can hear and he acts, forms 
the community of the people of God as we listen and obey. You see, possessing the word of the Lord is not a burden to be shrugged or a yoke to be broken. (laughs) It is a gift to be cultivated. It's a blessing to be received. Lest we be running out with lances and swords, cutting ourselves in every which way, in every direction, that we might hear a word from our gods. But how often does that form our daily ethic? our daily practice, that we hear a word from the Lord. Instead, we prefer the lances and the swords. Instead of turning to the God of the Bible and studying his word. This is what forms the people of God, that God indeed speaks and there is no other. Secondly, God acts. Turn back to Exodus 20 as we'll wrap up our time here. Just briefly, I want to point this out as we'll kind of wrap up our time together. It is the conviction that forms the people of God. I trust that you are moved by the presentation this morning on the need for a people to possess the word of the Lord. I trust that then you are able to connect the fact that you are one who, oh yeah, does possess the word from the Lord. And in confidence of who he is and with gratitude for what he has done, you give yourself to the word from the Lord. Because he is the God who speaks and he is the God who acts. Look at how he speaks to Israel as the only God who acts on their behalf. Verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You see that? I acted on your behalf. There is no other. There is no other outstretched arm that drew you out of your sin and misery. You didn't do it. Neither did any other deity that you could create. I, the Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. I brought you out. This is pure gospel. It's a declaration of his divine favor. This is what I have done to you. I brought you out. I drew you out from bondage and decay. And I annexed you to myself. Here is the great king giving his treaty and his covenant to his people. And he says, this is who I am. I am the God who speaks. This is what I have done. I have annexed you to myself. I have grabbed you, drew you over here. And now I'm sharing who I am with you. And in the, the, the slave that was then brought from bondage into a sense of freedom underneath a benevolent king is now moved with confidence, number one, and gratitude, number two, for what the king has just declared. You mean you've done this? You've taken me from whips, the bondage of sin, the killing of our children in Egypt? You did this? You can kill all my enemies. You can drive them far from me. I have done that. 
then I have confidence in following you. I have confidence in who you are and what you can do. You've destroyed my enemies. And now I'm moved with gratitude that I might hear your laws and they would be a delight to my soul because of what you've done for me. This is the foundation for each one of the commandments. I'm giving you a gracious revelation. I'm telling you who I am. And I'm telling you what I've done for you. That you might draw great confidence in times of turmoil. As they said this morning, no one knows the future. Exactly. So what do you draw confidence from for your future? Forgetting not all of his benefits, what he has done to bring me unto him and the word that he has given me that I might continue to know what I believe and do as I walk with him. The people of God drawn by the strong arm of God, are given confidence and gratitude. And this is the response to the law of God. Have no other gods before me. Commandment number one. Why? Because I have spoken to you and saved you. With confidence and gratitude, follow me.